Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. My name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained licensed minister, a spiritual guide, and life coach. I firmly believe that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble, many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week, we'll explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. This show is also non-denominational and inclusive, so it is a safe place for everyone, regardless of what you believe or don't believe. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I so hope and pray you all are well and blessed. Infinite thanks, blessings, and love for tuning in. If this is your first time here, thank you for finding us. It is my deepest hope and sincerest prayer that you find everything you're looking for in a podcast, especially a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for being a long-time, loyal, loving, and supportive listener and member of the show. It is because of you that this show is here. So before I begin, I do have to give a disclaimer. I deeply and sincerely apologize for the sound of my voice. Uh, If I sound nasally or congested, uh, my family and I are just getting over the flu at the time this show is being recorded. So please uh, have some patience and bear with me. Uh, I've got a great story. I know they're all great stories, but I've got an amazing and great story. Wait a minute. You just say great. I know. It's amazing and great show. <laughs> no, I'm arguing myself. It must be the flu, all right? <laughs> oh, anyway, it's just going to be an awesome show, folks, so stay tuned. So those of you who are longtime listeners know that I'm a huge fan of a What God Is Not podcast, which is hosted by Mother Natalia and Father Michael O'Loughlin. Truly amazing people, amazing show. If you haven't heard their podcast yet, please, please, please go check it out. I'll have a link in the show notes. But anyway, recently I was listening to one of their shows, and Mother Natalia had mentioned St. Nectarius. And I had never heard of St. Nectarius before, but was completely blown away by the little bit that she did share. Uh, She also shared that there was a movie based on his life that is called Man of God. And I was able to find it on the Tubi app, T-U-B-I. Yes, I'll have a link in the description. For those of you who aren't familiar with Tubi, it is an app that you can put on your phone or tablet or computer, and you can watch movies for free. Well, this movie is currently on Tubi, so I watched it multiple times. It is such an incredible movie, and I absolutely fell head over heels in love with St. Nectarius. It's just, as you'll see as we go through his story, that's who we're going to be talking about today. As we go through his story, you're going to hopefully fall in love with him as much as I have, if not more, and definitely check out the movie Man of God. You will definitely be hooked on him after that. So the article that I'm going to be reading from the day is was created by the St. Nectarios Greek Orthodox Church. Um, And it does appear that they are mainly Greek-speaking because the English is a little broken here and there. So 
please, as always, forgive me, our Greek Orthodox speaking folks, or just Greek speaking folks who listen to the show, uh, for my mispronunciations of your beautiful language. Anastasius Kafalis, son of Democynthus and Vasiliki, was born on October 1st, 1846, in eastern Selviria of Thrace, which is now Turkey. He was one of six children. His parents were very poor, but pious Christians who brought up their children according to the teachings of the church. When his mother taught him Psalm 50, he liked to repeat the verse, I shall teach thy ways unto the wicked and sinners shall be converted unto thee. His early years were spent at the local elementary school in Silveria. Upon completion of his school curriculum there were no schools in his area for him to continue his academic studies, and he was too poor to study abroad. But he did have a thirst for knowledge and love of God. This love urged him on, for he wanted to become a theologian. He wanted to educate himself so that he could love the Lord even more and as such serve him better. So, young St. Nectarios uh, had only an elementary school education. He couldn't afford to go to any other schools, and there were no other schools in his other area other than the elementary school, which was quite common, uh, sadly enough, back in those days. And But his mother, you know, was teaching him, you know, the Bible, and he came up in a, in a great family that, you know, believed in the Orthodox Church and attended quite often. And, you know, the church was their life, you know, a big part of their life, which again was the case back in those days, which sadly is not the case for most these days. Uh, how the world would be or should be a different place if we all had amazing churches and amazing parishes and communities to go to and be part of. So from a very young age, um, you know, St. Nectarius wanted to be a theologian. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what a theologian is, that is a biblical scholar. So saddened by the state of poverty that his parents uh, were in and urged by an ever-growing love for our Lord Jesus Christ, at the age of 14, and with his parents' blessings, Anastasius went to Constantinople to find work for their financial assistance and in hope that he would be able to continue his studies and fulfill his dreams. So again, we have young St. Nectarios leaving home at the age of 14 to go someplace he'd never been before to find work and continue his studies. The young Anastasios set off then for the seaport where he would board a boat to Constantinople. He was faced with a problem, however, and Astasios did not have the money to pay the required fare for the boat. Nevertheless, as the boat for Constantinople was ready to sail, Anastasia bravely walked up to the captain and asked to take him along. The captain, however, seeing him so young, said to him jokingly, Take a walk, my little one, and when you come back, I will take you. The boy understood what the captain was actually telling him and began to walk away sadly. The captain turned on the engines in order to sail. The engines were propelling, but the boat would not move. 
increase the power to the engines, but to no avail. Even at full throttle, the ship still would not move. In his helplessness, the captain glanced up, and his eyes met the gaze of the boy who was standing on the shore in sorrow. Against his will, he was moved and excuse me, <laughs> relently, relenting, here we go again, relenting, he told the boy to get on the boat. Anastasius jumped into the boat, and the captain again became engrossed in how to make the ship move. But he did not have a chance to worry long, for it began to move immediately since it had received its special passenger. Warning, 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 the following, the following could, could be considered, considered fantastical. So, yeah, sorry, maybe I should have put that disclaimer sooner. <laughs> so, yes, here we go with a fantastical but very true story. Amazing. Here we have 14-year-old St. Nectarios uh, with no money trying to board the boat going to or sailing to um, Constantinople. And, you know, he was very honest. He could have tried to sneak on board or stow away or uh, what have you, but no, he went honestly up to the captain and just told him, I don't have money, but need to get to Constantinople. Will you allow me passage? And, you know, of course, you know, the captain being a good person sees this young man our young boy at 14 is like, no, um, get, get the step in. And when you come back, you know, uh, I'll give you a ride, you know, more or less when you grow up, come back. So, but as we can see, the divine had other ideas in mind uh, that Nectarios was going to be on that ship and that that ship would not sail literally without him. The ship rushed along now in open sea on route to Constantinople, and the crew conducted a ticket inspection. The young boy became terrified since he did not have a ticket, nor any money to purchase one. He looked about for the captain who knew his secret, but he had stepped away. I will tell the truth, he thought to himself. When asked for his ticket, he said, I am poor. I have no money. I have left my poor parents to seek work so that I can help them. His cheeks glowed red. For Anastasios was very embarrassed. But as our Lord does not abandon those who believe in him, the sailors felt sorry for young Anastasios and let him go. Other passengers heard his story and went to his aid. They listened to his story, his problems. One man in particular, a cousin of a very rich man, John Hormis, was particularly impressed by the young boy's courage and dedication. So here we have, again, people are just genuinely attracted to St. Nectarios and, you know, his just open heart and honesty. I mean, here, once again, he could have lied. He could have snuck around. He could have hid somewhere. He could have begged from somebody to pay his fare, but he was just open and honest. And in turn, he got to share his story with other people and touched and blessed them. And this is what I'm saying, folks, and have been saying for such a long time, is that the importance of living your faith. Here is an example of a young St. Nectarios at the age of 14 living his faith. And people genuinely 
come to him or are attracted to him and asking him about his story. And I, I've said before, and I will always say, people will do the very same to you. Just live your faith. Live by example. You don't have to beat people down with your faith. That's contrary to sharing your faith. Show by example. Show people that you work with, people in your community, passerbys, strangers. Show them your faith by your thoughts, by your speech, and by your actions. Sure enough, young Anastasios Kaplis reached the port of Constantinople and the very next day went looking for work. But he found mostly rejection and indifference. Eventually, he found employment in a factory with a tobacco merchant. However, he was a young boy and his pay would barely be enough for his daily meals as he walked about barefoot and with ragged clothes. He found his comfort in prayer, for he had much faith in God. The boy did not become entangled in worldly cares, but fixed his mind entirely upon building up the inner man in the image of Christ by prayer and meditation on the writings of the Holy Fathers. With his childlike mind and guileless heart, when he saw that his employer wrote and received many letters in his business Anastasios also wanted to write a letter, for he had much to say. But to whom? He had no acquaintances. He could not write to his mother because mail was not taken to the small villages. Yet he felt the need to write. He wanted to write grievances, to tell how he would work and they would not pay him, how he wanted to eat and be clothed and the money would not suffice. He did not abandon his hope in God. And one day in order to make his prayer more li living, he thought of writing a letter to Christ and telling him of his needs. And truly, he lost no time. He took a pencil and paper and wrote, My little Christ, I do not have an apron or shoes. Please send them to me. You know how much I love you, Anastasios. So here again, just... Truly amazing. This young man, young boy at the age of 14 has this wisdom and faith and fortitude um, that he had no one to talk with. Um, you know, he couldn't write. Like he said, he couldn't write his mom, which had to have been just terrible for him. Um, so he had no one to, to speak with to, to say, hey, look, you know, I'm down on my luck, you know, I'm, I'm not making enough to even put shoes on my feet or clothes on my back or and barely enough to put meals in my stomach, you know, and, you know, I need help. So he did the Melissa Henning Camp thing. Those of you who aren't familiar with Melissa Henning Camp, go back to season one, episode two. Melissa Henning Camp is one of the main reasons this show came into being. Um, she kept a journal through her fights and, and battle with cancer. And she always wrote to Jesus in her journal. She addressed everything to him. And as we see, young Nectarios is doing this very same thing. But I love it. It's, it's so, so adorable. And to the point, you know, my little Christ, I do not have an apron and shoes or shoes. Please send them to me. You know how much I love you. And then he signed his name, Anastasius. It's just, wow. And I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's just so 
amazing and it's so very powerful. And uh, I challenge all of you, you know, it's important, number one, to, to have a journal if you have the time to do it, even if you can just write a sentence a day in it. Uh, but address your journal to your higher power, um, whatever you call that or label that or not, whatever you don't label it. Um, and just give it a try and see, you know, write your prayers down, write your intentions down, write down your needs and see what happens. I bet you would be very, very surprised. So young St. Nectarios seals the letter with confidence and wrote on the envelope to the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. He took his letter and went to mail it right away. On the way, by divine economy, he met the owner of a merchant shop that was opposite where he worked. This man knew him well, and knowing very well of the boy's innocence and diligence, had come to feel great compassion for him. He also was going to the post office. Anastasius, where are you going? He said to the boy. Anastasius became troubled and whispered something, holding the letter in his hands. Give it to me so I can mail it, and you won't have to go all the way. Frightened and unthinking, the little Anastasius gave him the letter. The merchant took the letter with much love, patted him on the head, and told him not to worry. While he put the letter in his pocket with his own other letters, he told Anastasios to go back and that he would take care of the mail and the letter safely. Anastasios cheerfully returned to his work, and the merchant continued on his way, full of happiness over the good and exceptional boy. As he was about to mail the letter, the merchant noticed the address noted on Anastasios' letter. Thunderstruck, he stopped and, conquered by temptation of curiosity, opened and read it. He was overwhelmed with emotion as the man began to cry. He put an amount of money into an envelope and sent it anonymously to the boy along with fatherly advice on how the money could be spent wisely. Anastasius was filled with joy when he received it and gave many thanks to God. Wow, what an amazing, truly amazing blessing that that merchant, wow, bless him, infinite blessings to him for doing, and this is how it works, folks. You see, um, miracles happen from the smallest things. You know, a merchant who had enough money and then some, taking a moment to be genuinely concerned about a young boy and helping him anonymously. You know, it wasn't about him, you know, banging pots and pans and blowing a trumpet saying, look at me, look at the good I've done. He had the exceptional and the most, utmost um, motivation and intention and righteousness behind what he did. The next day, Anastasio set out to purchase new clothes. Upon his return, his employer noticed him and thought that the boy had stolen the money from him. Therefore, he was going to beat him and fire him. But Anastasius cried, I have never stolen anything in my life. Don't hit me. My little Christ sent them to me. The merchant across the street overheard the commotion and took Anastasius' employer to the side in order to explain the matter to him. 
So this is something I want to point out, folks, just to keep an eye on throughout uh, St. Nectarios' story is false accusations against him. This is something that his life, unfortunately, was plagued with um, to uh, extreme degrees, and we'll get into that further as we go along. As a shop assistant and tobacco merchant, Anastasia spent a long and hard hours. He started early and finished late, but somehow made the time to continue his studies late at night. He read as much as he could the Holy Scriptures and writings of the Holy Fathers and made a collection of wise sayings, which he used to write on the paper used to wrap his customers' goods since he did not have the money to buy paper. Later, he worked as a teacher of lower grades in the orphanage of the All-Holy Sepulchre. When he was 20, Anastasius, now a handsome young man, went to the island of Chios, where he was appointed teacher at a village named Lithi, or Lithi, L-I-T-H-I. He was always present at church services and was never far from those in need. All he knew him, all, excuse me, all who knew him spoke with the highest regards for Anastasius as he had earned much respect for his wisdom and example as he tirelessly served his church and community and instilled in his students the word of God. Seven years later, at the age of 30, he entered the great and renowned monastery of Nia Mani, for Anastasios had long yearned for the monastic life, for it would allow him to study the Holy Scriptures ever harder and fulfill his dreams of the priesthood. After completing three years as a novice under the care of Venerable Elder Pachamias, on November 7th, 1875, he became a monk and received the name of Lazarus in his tonsure. Even harder now, he studied, prayed and fasted day and night. Many nights he would pray till sunrise without sleep and then continue praying for the rest of the day. Two years later, he was ordained deacon by Metropolitan Gregory of Chios due to his great virtues and his piety. It was at his ordination as deacon that he was given the name Nectarios. Truly, it was a prophetic name, a name that would give one an intimation of the divine nectar that the Holy Father was to become. Through his holy sermons, and especially through the holy way of life, to the pious Christian people, Nectarios, Apollos had only completed elementary school. Therefore, Elder Pachamios convinced him to complete his high school studies in Athens. This was made possible through the financial support of a wealthy local benefactor, Mr. John Horamus. Does that name sound familiar, folks? John Horamus. He was on the ship. He was on the ship with Nectarios when he left home to go to Constantinople. John Horamus was the uncle of that unknown man who was on the boat when the young Nectarios was traveling to Constantinople. Oh, excuse me. So it wasn't him. It was his uncle. Close enough. <laughs> Horamus had heard of Nectarios and wished to meet him. With the help of God, it was not long before a meeting was arranged. Horamus' first impressions were excellent. 
He wanted to find someone to sponsor, to educate, with the aim of leading Greece's uneducated masses. Saul Nectarios, not only the man for the job, but a man who he could totally trust. Eventually, Hormos told Nectarios of his plans. Nectarios gratefully accepted. So Nectarios Kapolos went to Athens to begin his studies, and upon finishing went to Alexandria in Egypt, near the patriarch Sophronius, carrying with him the excellent reference of his sponsor, John Hormus. The patriarch was deeply impressed with the humility and the holiness of Nectarios. The patriarch asked him if he wanted to continue his studies at the theological school in Athens so that he could then return and take better care of the needs of the Orthodox Christians of Alexandria. Nectarios accepted and duly enrolled at the school. Day and night, Nectarios thanked God for everything. He prayed for Sophronius and all who had helped him. It was at this time that Nectarios Kapalis lost his close friend and benefactor, John Hormus. But thanks to the generosity of this pious islander, and to the protection of Patriarch Sophronius of Alexandria, Nectarios was able to complete his studies in Athens and to obtain the diploma of the Faculty of Theology. In 1885, he arrived in Alexandria, where he was soon ordained priest, then consecrated Metropolitan of Pentopolis, an ancient diocese in Serenciae, which is now Libya. He was appointed preacher and secretary to the patriarch, whose representative he became in Cairo, where he had charge of the Church of St. Nicholas. And those of you who remember our show on uh, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, if you do not remember that, please go back and check that out in season two, I want to say. Uh, an amazing show. Or maybe was it season one? I guess I should know my seasons, right? Um, but Metropolitan is another name for or what we would consider in um, Catholicism as an archbishop. It's similar to that. So Metropolitan Anthony Bloom was season one, episode 16. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. He is one of my all-time uh, favorite uh, Orthodox teachers, just an amazing, amazing being, uh, much like St. Nectarios. I mean, you can't go wrong with, with their teachings. And again, that's regardless of, of what your faith is or isn't. So we now get into the later years of, of St. Nectarios. Uh, says, but the love and admiration of the people for him turned to his disadvantage because of his holy virtues, because of his spotless life that he led, because of his holy sermons, and because of all those things which made him stand out immediately. Malice arose among his colleagues, who were also metropolitans of the See of Alexandria, and amongst the bishops and the higher clergy. They did not like St. Nectardos because he was different from them. For this reason, they slandered him to the patriarch Sophronius, saying that the Holy Father had his eye upon the patriarchal throne because he had this false show of piety, as they called it. They did not want to recognize his true virtue and unmatched spiritual beauty. Instead, they said that all his virtue was only a show that he would be considered holy by the people. He was accused of using his popularity, 
with the people to dethrone the patriarch. Since our Holy Father was truly so popular with the people, the patriarch was easily convinced that he was in danger. For if the people rose up, truly Nectarios would have much power. Little did they know the true worth of the man. Little did they understand that he was not a proud man and not ambitious as they were. For positions of for power or for glory, the saint made no attempt to justify himself, but placed all his hope in the promise of Christ, who has said, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And that's Matthew 5.11. So this is what I said to keep in mind before, as far as people getting the wrong impression of um, St. Nectarios is, you know, you've got all of these people with titles in priests, bishops, archbishops, metropolitans, patriarchs. They're all people. All ordained people are still people, you know, and they can succumb to um, sin as easily, if not easier, than anyone else. If anything, it's easier because of the line of work that they do. It puts them on the forefront of um, being humble and um, always doing the right thing. And, you know, the darkness, as I call it, I don't like to refer to evil or Satan or any of that demons and stuff. Um, recently talked about this in a show. Uh, but to me, you know, the darkness, it's, it can really easily get into people, especially when it comes to power and greed. And um, one of the things you'll see if you watch the movie, which I, again, highly recommend, there will be a link in the description, um, is that, you know, one of the big things is St. Nectarios was very well known for literally giving the shoes off his feet to people in need. And this greatly threatened the um, patriarchy. This greatly threatened the bishops and metropolitans because they were quite wealthy and they were greatly enjoying the wealth. And they knew that if something happened to the patriarch, even though St. Nectarios had no ambitions or plans to become the next patriarch, the people's outcry for him to be the next patriarch would be overwhelming and they would not be able to refuse. So what would that mean? That would mean all of the wealth that they accumulated over the current patriarch's reign would be quickly spent by Nectarios to the poor, which isn't that what it's supposed to be for anyway. I mean, I know they have operational costs and, and living expenses. However, they were living well, well, well in had a surplus of money. So the plot begins to get uh, slander the tar out of St. Nectarios and get him, get him out of there, get him out of Alexandria, get him out of Egypt, uh, get him as far away from them as possible. This is in this way, and for such reasons, they suspended the Holy Father as Metropolitan 
of the throne of Pentapolis. The patriarch himself, who was a very great friend of the father, wrote that ambiguous letter of suspension, which later became the cause of much scandal, saying that for reasons known to the patriarch, he was suspended from the metropolitan of Pentapolis, but that he was allowed to remain at the patriarch and to eat at the common table. This way, he could become wearied of St. Nectarios and mistreat him. St. Nectarios was essentially deprived of all means of lodge and shelter. If St. Nectarios was called by individuals to bless marriages or baptisms, he could officiate only if canonical, canonical excuse me, permission was granted by the bishops in those places or by the patriarch. Thus, he was not defrocked per se, nor was he suspended from ecclesiastical functions, but he was taken away from his throne to be without position. The Holy Father was very humbly endured these slanders and the suspension from his throne, but because he was popular with the people, there were grumblings and intrigues that arose from the people to demand what the cause for the Holy Father's suspension. Whatsoever venerable was our Holy Father that he secretly left for Greece, so that his popularity would not be a disturbance in the Church of Alexandria. He was given a letter of dismissal that only complicated matters, since those against him knew that they would be embarrassed if the truth were known about the true matter of his dismissal. Therefore, they sent letters, both anonymous and signed, influential people in Greece, slandering the father as being unethical and immoral, that he was not an upright person, and that for these reasons he was suspended from his position. So here we have the people, of course, it's now getting around to the people. They want answers. They want to know why. You know, and they're not getting answers. So the people are getting upset. So um you know, St. Nectarios could have easily got them all riled up and demanded because he himself wanted to know why, uh, but was never given valid reasons or exact reasons. So he decided to pack up and go to Greece. But you think that would have appeased those who were against him? No. They continued to chase him through letters by sending letters ahead of him before he even got to Greece to all of the influential people that they knew he would go to to try to find um, priestly employment. And they continued to slander him, saying that he was immoral and unethical, uh, which, you know, as a priest, especially a metropolitan, that's like the worst accusations you could possibly have against you. Alone, ignored, and despised, our Holy Father embarked for Athens. Many days he would lack even his daily bread, and he kept nothing for himself and gave all the little that he had to the poor. When the saint appeared in Athens with the paper of suspension and with the negative rumors already broadcasted before he even arrived, there was truly cause for most people to believe there must have been good reason for his suspension. For behold, they saw a paper 
which said that he was suspended for reasons known to the patriarch. Hence, when bad rumors go around about someone, outsiders to this situation usually fall victim of believing them. Such was the case with our saint, as both the state and the church authorities refused to give him a position in the Church of Greece. St. Nectarios was left without means of support, a stranger amongst his own, without lodging, without food, without even the most simple means of subsistence. Every day he would go to the office of the minister of religion so that something might be done for him, and every day he was turned away. He thought about going to Mount Athos for monastic retreat, but gave up the idea as he wanted to help others more than he wanted to help himself. The Lord does not abandon those who trust in him. And one day, as our Holy Father was sadly going down the stairs of the office of the minister, having been told once more that his case was being looked into and that they would let him know when something came up, he was met by a friend who had known him in Egypt and knew his former glory and virtue. He was surprised to see him in such a state and very saddened. When he learned the cause of his sadness, he could scarcely believe it. He went and interceded with the minister of religion and education, and they appointed the saint to be preacher of the diocese of Vintensia and Ubuea. Can you imagine the former metropolitan of Pentopolis, now a mere preacher? Something which a simple monk can do, something which even a layman that has a gift can be given permission to be the synod to do. Yet he did not at all think that this was humiliating for him or that it was a small thing. His yearning and desire to help others made him consider this opportunity as one of the greatest things, to be able to preach the word of God to the people. He did not consider that he was merely given a crumb from the table that was being thrown down to him as if he were a dog, but he immediately took it up and putting his heart into it, became earnest in his work of preaching to people. Thus he arrived on the island of Ubea, and there he began to preach from one church to other. But rumors of our father's slanders had reached Ubea to about this just and blameless saint who asked nothing for himself and everything for others. Many times when he was preaching, people would begin to smirk and laugh and whisper to the degree of causing commotion. At the beginning, the saint did not understand, for he was truly a humble and simple man. Later, he understood that they were talking about him and that they were laughing about him because of the slanders of being immoral and unethical. Thus he saw that, instead of fortifying souls, instead of edifying souls, instead of being able to really teach the word of God, he was doing harm. The people believed the rumors, and when they heard him preach good things, they were more scandalized than if he did not preach at all. Therefore, even though he had no other means of support except this position, which had been given to him, he resigned from his own will in order to not further scandalize the people and return to Athens.
By that time, there was a few, there, excuse me, there were a few people who had come to know him and to understand that he was truly a good man and that he had been slandered. They had come to love him because they did not see in his way of life or in his conversation anything that would evidence the things that were slandered about in Egypt. These people were influential in having him appointed dean of the Rosarios Seminary in Athens. He would liturgize in the Seminary Church of St. George, the great martyr and trophy bearer, as a bishop priest. The clergy and students of Rosarios were well aware of the rumors surrounding our Holy Father, but however able was he to gain the love and respect of those around him. He would teach the students, for he was truly a wise man and very learned, as is shown by the many works which he has left us on the state of the souls and the resurrection of bodies, about why we have the memorial services and many other subjects. The school's spiritual and intellectual standing rose rapidly under his direction. The students found in him a teacher with a deep knowledge of scripture, of the Holy Fathers, and even of secular learning, and a director who exercised his authority with great kindness and consideration. His administrative and teaching responsibilities, he taught pastoral theology, did not prevent him as a monk from living a life of ascesis or asceticism, meditation and prayer, nor from fulfilling the high calling of preaching and serving regularly the holy mysteries at the school as well as the greater Athens region. However, there glowed in the depths of his heart a burning love for peace and quiet of life in the monastery, seeing that there was much ado in the capital, many intrigues, many words, much noise spiritually and physically. He, being a quiet person, wished to retire from all this and go to a place where he could be with God and pray according to his heart. Thus he began to look around outside Athens to find a suitable place. He went to the island of Aegina, it's A-E-G-I-N-A, where he heard that there were many small excuse me, monasteries and churches that were in disuse. This led him to respond warmly to the desire expressed by some of his spiritual daughters that he should found a women's monastery on this island. This he did between 1904 and 1907, and he retired there in 1908 on his resignation as director of Rosario's school in Angina, about two hours by foot from the main city down by the sea, he founded a little church, which was once a small monastery, dedicated in honor of the Most Holy Trinity. With his own hands, the father began to rebuild a few of the cells that were around the little church. A blind nun, Xenia, at that time came to know the father, and he respected her very much. He made her mother superior, of the first little community. A few other souls came, and thus the Holy Father Nectarius with the blind mother and these few souls began their little convent. Despite countless cares and difficulties, St. Nectarius saw to the restoration of a type of life that was holy in its spirit and ancient fathers. 
He gave his utmost bodily and spiritual strength to the construction of the buildings, to divine service, and to the spiritual direction of each one of his disciples. Because the Father was truly a gifted man, especially in the matter of confession, many would flock to him, even from the capital. Thus he truly became a light on the island of Aegina, and the foremost confessor and spiritual father of the country of Greece at his time. Through the help of his spiritual children and donations of other people who came to understand their godly way of life, they were able to expand their little convent so that little by little a community of 30 nuns was gathered. The saint would say, I am building a lighthouse for you, and God will put a light in it that shall shine unto the breadth and length of the whole world. Many shall see the light and come here to Aegina. But the nuns could not understand what he was trying to tell them. It was only after the recovery of his holy relics and miracles that he began working in such abundance that they understood. He meant that his way of life, his very holy body, were the lighthouse, and if God pleased, he would send his light and it would shine throughout. Thus the words which the saint used to say to them have been fulfilled. They would often see him in a worn-out cassock working in the garden, or when he disappeared for many hours, they would guess he had shut himself in a cell to raise his intellect to God by bringing it down to his heart taste there the sweetness of the holy name of Jesus. Although he desired to flee all contact with the world and strictly limited visits to the monastery, fame of his virtues and of God-given graces spread in the region, and the faithful were drawn to him like iron to a magnet. He healed many from their sicknesses and brought rain to the island in a time of drought. He comforted, consoled, and encouraged he became a true miracle worker through Christ who dwelt in him by the grace of the Holy Spirit. He kept company with the saints and with the mother of God, and they often appeared to him during the holy liturgy or in his cell. During the difficult years that followed the First World War, he taught his nuns to rely from day to day on the mercy of God. He utterly forbade them to keep any food in reserve for their use instructing them to give away to the poor everything that remained over. St. Nectardus also found time to write a large number of works on theology, ethics, and church history. In order to strengthen the Church of Greece and the holy tradition of the Fathers, which was often unknown in those days because of Western influences. St. Nectarios lived like an angel in the flesh, with rays of uncreated light shining around him. Yet once again, he was calaminated by certain members of the hierarchy who made malicious accusations about his monastery. He bore these later trials with the patience of Christ, meekly and without complaint, as he did the painful illness which afflicted him for more than 18 months before he spoke of it. He thanked God for putting him the test in this way, and he did his best to keep the pain he suffered secret until the last days of his life. After a final pilgrimage to an icon of the Mother of God, venerated not far from the monastery, he told his disciples of his coming departure for heaven. 
Therefore, on the afternoon of September 20th, 1920, a nun by the name of Euphemia brought a little rasa-clad old man who was convulsed with pain to the Eretion Hospital of Athens, a state hospital for the poor. The intern of the hospital asked the nun for information about the little old man so that he may register and enter into the hospital registry. He is a monk. No, a bishop. The intern laughed sarcastically. Leave off the joking, mother. Tell me his name so I can put it in the register. He is a bishop, my child. He is the most reverend metropolitan of Pentopolis. For the first time in my life, I see a bishop, muttered the intern to himself, without Pangenia gold cross. And most significant of all, without money. Indeed, he is a bishop, repeated the nun. The Metropolitan of Pentopolis. This metropolis belongs to the Patriarch of Alexandria. He is the most reverend, Nectarios Kapalas. Some time ago, he left Egypt and came here, close to you, as a matter of fact, because he directed Rosario's school. For some years now, however, he has lived as a monk in the convent of the Holy Trinity on Aegina. There he became gravely ill, and in spite of his protest, we brought him here. She then showed the intern his credentials, which proved him to be the Metropolitan. The intern of the hospital, amazed by everything he had heard and seen, shrugged his shoulders and told the nurses to place the sick man in a third-class room where there were several beds for the destitute. The doctors diagnosed that the sick little old man was suffering from severe cystis, a disease of the bladder. For two months, Heinrich Nectarios Kapalas lived in the midst of terrible pains, and at 10.30 in the evening of the 8th of November, 1920, in peace and at prayer, he gave up his spirit unto God at the age of 74. In the final days of his life, the saint was kept in the ward of the incurable in the midst of many poor, sick people who were about to die. Next to his bed, there was a man who had been paralyzed for many years. As soon as the saint gave up his spirit, a nurse of the hospital and the nun who, became, who had accompanied him prepared his sacred tabernacle for transfer to Aegina for burial. For this purpose, they dressed the saint in clean clothing. When they took off the saint's sweater, they placed it on the bed of the paralytic to get it out of their way and continue preparing the saint's body. And oh, strange wonder, the paralytic immediately began to gain strength and arose from the bed, healthy, glorifying God. So what say you all? What say you? How would you all like an invitation to glorify the divine in whatever way uh, you glorify that which you believe it to be a higher power, whether you label it or you do not label it? I'm now going to play a very small um, advertisement for the Oblates of Perpetual Light, which is a group. Um, that I created, that, of course, excuse me, the divine created, that I'm assisting with. 
for all of us to meet and get together online. It's 100% online. And every one of you, I extend an invitation to, to join this group if you would like. And here is the information on it. Sorry to interrupt the show, folks, but I do have a question for you really quick. Are you looking for something to help you with your faith? Are you searching for your faith? I have just the thing for you. It's called the Oblates of Perpetual Light. This is a group I have just created uh, that I am the director of, that its goal is to help others strengthen and deepen their faith, no matter what it is or isn't, and also to help those who are interested in discovering their faith, something that fits them. And it's also a community of people that love and respect everyone, regardless of what their faith is or isn't, what their gender is or isn't, what their marital status is or isn't. There are just four things that go for the Oblates of Perpetual Light that are required. And if you go to the website, you can find those out. It's very easy, and it's probably stuff you're already doing already. So for more information on becoming an Oblate, and I have to say one thing real quick is the Oblates of Perpetual Light is a safe place. You are completely safe with the Oblates. No harm will come to you, only love, support, and respect. So the website for the Oblates, please check that out first, is Oblates, P-L, O-B-L-A-T-E-S-P-L dot Wixsite.com forward slash Oblates dash P-L. Or you can contact me at Oblates dot P-L at gmail.com. And I'll have links to both of these in the show notes and descriptions. I hope to see you as an Oblate very soon. Sorry again, folks, for the interruption, but I thought that would be a great place to insert that and extend the invitation to all of you, especially those who are just finding us for the first time. This is your first time listening. I greatly extend uh, my hand to all of you in that invitation. If you would like to join the Oblates, you know, check it out. Go to the website. If you want more information, contact me, and we'll get you connected. So the day he reposed the whole hospital, was filled with such fragrance that all the patients, nurses, and doctors would come out in the halls to ask where such a fragrance was coming from. For some days after, they could not use the room where they placed his relics because of the fragrance. Even though they kept the windows open, so strong was the fragrance. This room is now a chapel dedicated to the saints. And it wasn't that he was stinky. He wasn't stinky. He was, it was a very uh, euphoric scent that was wafting about, uh, that was quite overpowering and overstimulating. Uh, so I don't want anyone to get the idea that he was stinky. <laughs> right. They took his relics to the Paris, put them in the Church of the Holy Trinity. Uh, they prepared a small wooden coffin. From there, they took him to Aegina where they gave him a simple burial at the convent of the Holy Trinity. Some years later, as is the custom in Greece, his grave was opened to take the relics out. When they opened the grave, what should they see but the saint was whole and continued to be fragrant. <laughs> Not even his vestments had changed in any way. Now keep in mind that he was put in a wooden 
coffin. This was not your galvanized steel um, encased in a crypt or anything like that, uh, waterproofed or any way. So uh, this was open to the elements. It was just wood. They had not told the people of Aegina because he had already worked many miracles and became very beloved. And a very large crowd would have gathered, even from Athens and other places where he was known for the opening of his grave. So early in the morning, as soon as they finished with the divine liturgy, as it was dawning, they went and began to open the grave. At the same time, there was a taxi coming by on the road and below the convent inside was a woman who had been to some resort place. She was not a woman of good repute, but of ill repute and many sins. As soon as they approached the Holy Trinity convent, there was such a fragrance in the air that she told the driver, stop, what is that fragrance? So he stopped and looked around. Oh, he replied, here's the convent of the Holy Nectarios. What else could such a fragrance be but that they are opening his grave today and the fragrance is coming from the grave? For many times a fragrance came from his body before he, they buried him. And even from the grave, it comes sometimes. Immediately she opened the door of the taxi and ran to go and see. She went up to the convent at the moment that they had opened the coffin and found the relics whole. She was very moved by this and by the fragrance especially. She began to weep and publicly confess her sins. Thus, she was corrected and became a prudent and Christian woman in her own and her way of life. At that time, they telegraphed to Athens to the Archbishop Chrysum Papadopoulos, and he went to the island to see the relics for himself. After examining the relics, he irreverently counseled the nuns to leave the relics out in the sun and air for two or three days and then rebury him so that he would dissolve. Thus it is with those who pretend to be pious, and yet in their hearts have but the smell of corruption, the stench of death. They cannot understand the things of God, but blasphemy against the very Holy Spirit by such words and actions. The nuns, fearing the censure of the archbishop and also being simple, did as they were told. For two days, they put him outside in the sun, in the air, and then reburied him. But within a month or two, they opened the grave a second time and took out the relics, which were still whole, and put them in a marble sarcophagus. So yeah, here we see poor St. Nectarius. Even after death, the higher-ups won't give him credit for anything. As a matter of fact, this... Uh, Archbishop did everything he could to totally um, get rid of what was left of St. Nectarios, his relics and his remains, by leaving them out in the open where animals or anything or the elements could do whatever they wanted to do with them. But again, as we see, as was the whole of the story of St. Nectarios, the divine had other plans. And... That which man wishes is not, uh, can't do anything to the divine. You know, we can be as evil as we want to be, but the divine will do as the divine wants. The divine's will, not our will. 
1934, 14 years after the repose of the saints, a doctor was coming from one of the villages on horseback and was caught in a very heavy rain in the area of the convent. He got down from his horse and went and stood under a tree. It was raining so hard that he saw it would not let up for a long time. Therefore, he decided that there was nothing else nearby. He might as well go to the convent. He had known Holy Father Nectorius while he was living, but being a man who did not believe much in such things, he did not reverence the Father much. So he went and knocked at the convent, and the nuns opened and put him up for the night. It was evening, and they would not keep any man inside the convent, even the priest of the convent, as it was forbidden by the canons. But they had a little place outside for guests. But as the gates of the convent had not yet closed, he wanted to investigate what he had heard about the miracles and incorrupt relics now that he had come to the convent. So he went, while it was still light, to where the sarcophagus was outside of the church. He began to pull off the heavy marble slab, which was on top, as if it was not fastened in any manner. He pulled it down to the waist of the saint. The very moment a nun happened to come by and she began to cry out, What are you doing there? What are you doing? Opening our elder's grave. And he replied, I just wanted to take a look. But you did not have permission, she insisted, and began making a commotion. But in the meantime, anyway, he investigated the relics. Later, he said, I was very amazed to see that it was Father Nectorius that we all knew, and that he could still be recognized from his face and expression. Even his beard was intact. I pulled at some of his beard, but it would not come out. I touched his hand and saw that it was skin. It had remained so well on the bones. There was not much flesh and had not shriveled up. He could be recognized by anyone who had known him when he was alive. Then they closed the marble sarcophagus right away. Man, that guy's lucky those nuns didn't beat him to death. Jeez, old Pete, could you imagine? And here this guy comes in the rain wanting shelter. They don't know him from Adam and then... They open up the place to the, you know, out of the kindness and love of their hearts and St. Nectarios. And this guy goes out and starts taking the, the top of the casket off and examining St. Nectarios like he's somebody that has authority to do that. This is just some everyday bloke. It's, oh my goodness. It's, wow. By the will of God, years later, the relics of saint dissolved, and what we have now are his holy bones. They have since been encased in the saint, saint's mitre and Aegina. The top opened so one can kiss the crown of his head. The other parts of his relics, which have much fragrance, are located in a silver box. He endured a life of calamities, persecutions, and false accusations. But God has glorified him, and miracles have abounded since his departure for those who approach his relics with faith or who rely on his powerful intercession. His body remained incorrupt for more than 20 years, distilling a delicate heavenly scent, and then returned to the earth in the usual way. 
His relics were strongly redolent with the same perfume at the time of his, their translation in June 1953. This perfume has continued ever since to rejoice the faithful who come to venerate his precious relics with the assurance that St. Nectarios has been received by God into the abode of the righteous. His veneration was formally recognized in 1961. The list of his miracles grows longer every day, and his shrine at Aegina has become the most popular place of pilgrimage in Greece. I recently spoke or got the amazing opportunity to speak with a priest online um, who uh, went to Aegina and actually got to see the relics and um, that whole experience. And wow, it was just just amazing to be in contact with someone who actually got to experience that incredible blessing. And anyone can go if you have the funds and you can go to Greece and go to the island of Aegina. Um, you can go to Holy Trinity Convents and, and see and, and, and kiss uh, St. Nectarius on the head if you, if you want to. So, you know, it's just amazing. Such an amazing story uh, beyond fantastical and so much for us to take away. Um, he is such an example of how, no matter how we're persecuted or what people say about us, that we should not allow it to outwardly affect us or allow it to change our hearts or our faith and that we should remain resolute. We should remain convicted and stay on our path, whatever your path is. You know, those of you who are pagan get persecuted so much, and I am forever so sorry for how often and how much you all are persecuted. But you all inspire me so much because of your faith, your dedication, and your conviction that regardless of what others say, just like St. Nectarius, you continue to be you. You continue to believe what you believe and practice what you practice and help all of those that you come in contact with. And that's what faith, life should all be about, is about helping others, being there for others, being as selfless as possible. And again, we have a great, another great example of with St. Nectarius. This week's prayer requests are as follows. I got to speak with Mike S. this week. He wanted me to pass along to everyone his gratitude and love for all of the prayers that you all have been offering and ask that you please keep them going. He is home now, but in two weeks he will be having the ablation done, or I should say ablations. And I had misspoke last week when I said that the ablations were going to be on his arteries. It's actually on the nerves. Uh, it's a very complicated and tricky surgery, and it could take seven, eight hours or more. So um, that's going to be probably, well, it's been a week, so it's probably going to be about another week, week and a half. So I will let you all know as soon as I have any more updates. But again, please keep the prayers going for Mike S. We would greatly appreciate it. Next is Ray. Ray has uh, lung cancer. He 
um, from what I understand, is now receiving chemotherapy treatment. So let's please keep him and his family in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Um, Elaine, my mother Elaine, goes for to her pulmonary doctor this Tuesday at 2.45 Eastern Time to go over the brachioscopy um, test that she had done last month and see how that's going. So let us hope and pray with all of our hearts and all of our souls that this bacteria or bacterias that she has is are completely gone and she's healed. Uh, next is Bob. Bob, who has stage two follicular lymphoma. Hopefully he doesn't anymore. Uh, he, as you know, is uh, finished with his treatment. He goes in February 17th for a CT scan and then labs on the 22nd of February to um, go over how much the chemo did in helping him. Next, we have Lana. Uh, Lana was able to get to her doctor finally regarding the laceration on her foot. Um, she's being treated with some really heavy antibiotics that are causing her to uh, get sick. So let's please keep her in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Uh, just general prayers for health and well-being for Megan, Molly, Gwyn, Octavia, Clyde, Mike, Kathy, Michael T., Father Mike Cantor, Eddie Cantor, Emma, Jean, Brother Ashley and his family, Doug, Tracy, Salma, Sister Mercy Augustine, Cheryl, Risa, and also my sister Tanya and her husband Ron, who is still um, unable to find work. It's just a shame that people aren't looking at experience and looking more towards um, age. Um, and it's it's just a tragedy. And, and Tanya is so stressed and, and putting in so many extra hours and running herself ragged trying to make ends meet. So let us please keep them and everyone in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. And if you are in need of prayers, please, please, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. My contact information is at the end of this show and every show. I love to pray and those who listen to the show love to pray. So let us pray for you. So I could think of no better prayer than to close with than a prayer to um, St. Nectarios to intercede for us. And this is a prayer for the sick. And as we just heard from the list, there are always so many um, in need of our prayers and in need of healing. And even more that do not uh, come forward to share their names or, or ask. So, I mean, the world literally needs healing. So let us pray. Nominee Divi Fili Spiritus Sancti. The case that contains your relics has been shown to be a plentiful source of healing of the grace of God. It cures those who are suffering and restores their well-being and health, healthiness to those approaching with wholehearted faith. Hierarch Father Nectarios. Saint of God, intercede for us safe from every adversity and of the assaults of the devil who wars with us. Keep your parish, which is named for you, wise and holy hierarch, Nectarios, saint of God, intercede for us every day to your sacred shrine. People sick and suffering come from everywhere. Holy Father, give them health again and relieve their sorrow by the grace of God. Glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now we pray you, Nectarios, to restore to health our bodies and souls alike and absolve us our trespasses as we are wholeheartedly 
extolling you, both now and ever and to the ages of ages. Amen. So I hope you all have enjoyed uh, the story of St. Nectarios. Um, it, it's bittersweet. It's sad and it's happy. It's sad that everything that he went through, but it's so happy um, as far as all that he achieved and all that he did for so, so many people. Um, just truly beyond amazing. And we are so very blessed that we have so much of St. Nectarios' teachings. Um, I am currently studying a book um, of his that is Homilies of Great Lent. And his writings actually give you an aneurysm, I'm telling you. It's, it's deep. It's complex stuff. I mean, he was definitely um, beyond a genius and holy man. I mean, you just get it straight from the get-go from his teachings. And again, I can't recommend the movie Man of God enough. Uh, please check it out. Again, I'll have links to it on, on the Tubi app. It's absolutely free. Um, you know, they have, they have some commercials here and there, but it's nothing to stomach, you know, to see this amazing movie. And it's also available to purchase if you would like to purchase the DVD is I believe $15, and I will have a link to that on Amazon if anyone's interested in getting that. If you are not one that's comfortable downloading apps to your phone or your tablet or computer. Um, but again, check it out. I You will not regret it. It'll be like you, like me, it will become one of your all-time favorite inspiring movies. It's one of those that when you feel life's getting you down and you feel people are persecuting you, you put that on and watch what St. Nectarios went through, just a little bit of what he went through, and it puts everything in complete, perfect perspective for you on what you should do. He's right there with you, so is the divine and the Holy Trinity. Whatever you believe, whatever higher power you believe is always right there with you. We just have to open our eyes and our hearts to it, you know? So, of course, links to everything that was shared today will be in the show notes and description, including uh, the upcoming prayer. I so hope and pray that you all have enjoyed the show and that it has helped you in some way. If it has helped you, please consider making an offering to the show. Offerings are a great way to help support and improve the show. It also helps and supports the Faith and More ministry. If you would like to make an offering, we are accepting them through the Cash app. The show's cash tag is dollar sign Faith and More, or you can find us at cash.app forward slash dollar sign Faith and More. An infinite thanks, blessings, and love in advance for anything that you can offer. Don't forget about our YouTube channel. You can watch videos of weekly Ask Angel questions, bi-weekly sermons and homilies, audio of the show. The show you're listening to now is uploaded on YouTube. It's a great place and a fun thing to just watch and hang out on. Just go to youtube.com forward slash at faith and more podcast. I'm always open to questions and suggestions. We have people listening from all over the world. There are amazing beings, past and present, in your country, society, and culture. 
that we do not know about, but we should. Please contact me and share these amazing beings so we can share them with the world. Next is prayers. I love to pray and our listeners love to pray as well. So let us pray for you. There's two ways to do this. The first is to email me at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com or through the website at faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com slash my dash site. So until next time, have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and prayers. Bless you.